prayer is not an optional thing for a Christian, and it's not optional for a church. As you look at the book of Acts, that's where this study comes from, we find variations of the word pray, be it pray or prayer or prayers. In the book of Acts, we find prayer mentioned 31 times, 31 times. That is second only to the book of Psalms. And so in the New Testament, the book of Acts has more to say about prayer, than at least it's mentioned that way, than any other book in the New Testament. So Acts affirms prayer as a central element of worshiping Christ. Church, we can speak with our voice. We can speak to God with, through our mind, right? You, can, you don't have to speak verbally. You can talk to God just driving down the road or sitting in a meeting, you know. You can be talking to the Lord in your mind, that voice in your head talking to the Lord, and know that He, as our Heavenly Father, He hears us. We can talk directly to Him. The book of Acts shows us, it affirms that this truth of prayer being a central element of worshiping Christ, and it clearly connects the mighty works of God to unified corporate prayer. You understand what I mean by corporate prayer, right? That means collective prayer. That means the church gathered together, praying together. We would call that corporate prayer. After Jesus' ascension, we just did that series in uh, last month around Easter about Christ, and we ended with Christ's ascension. And when Christ ascended, when he went back up into heaven, he told him, before he left, he told his disciples what to do. He said, go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit. And what did they do? Last week we saw that. They followed orders. They were obedient. They went back and they waited. And then after the Spirit came upon them, they went out and they did the next thing Jesus told them to do. They followed orders. They went out and witnessed. Well, what we find here in Acts chapter 1 in verse 14 is that when they went back to Jerusalem, they went up into the upper room. Who was there? Look at verse number 13. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James... The disciples are there, all of them except Judas, the one that betrayed Christ and that went out and hung himself. But what do we find them doing in the upper room in verse 14? It says, they all were continually united in prayer. You see it? They're following orders, and what do they do? As they're waiting, they get on their knees. They go to God in prayer. When the church was established on Pentecost, as you go to the next chapter, in chapter 2 and verse 42, we find that they, the disciples, those who were saved, the thousands that were saved, they continued, this is verse 20, 42 of chapter 2, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers and in prayers. When threatened by the religious leaders to stop preaching about Christ, you know what they did? They gathered and prayed. We're going to see that in chapter 4 here tonight. 
And so the example of the apostles in Acts points to the priority of praying together as a church. Every occurrence, listen to this, every occurrence of of the church praying, believers praying before chapter 6 of Acts is all done together. Doesn't mean they didn't pray separately. It just means that every recorded instance of prayer up to chapter 6 of Acts, they're all praying together. And so very clearly, church, praying together was a priority for the apostles. Ian Bounds, you know that name? If you've ever, if you want to ever study anything on prayer, eventually, if you're going to do much reading on it, you're going to come across one of Ian Bounds' books on prayer. You, you can't go wrong if you want to learn about prayer, studying the works of Ian Bounds. Here's what he said about, the, 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 about prayer in the life of the church. He said, the life of the church is the highest life, and its office is to pray. Its prayer life is the highest life, the most fragrant, the most conspicuous. When Christ's house on earth is a house of prayer, then God's house in heaven is busy and powerful in its plans and movements. That's what Ian Bounds said. These people, these early believers, they learned how to pray and they saturated their lives with prayer. And what I want us to realize tonight, church, is that God's heart is that every church is a praying church. Every church is a praying church. It's, it's not just any prayer that we need. What we need, what I, I think we desire, is we desire prayer with power, right? We want to see God answer prayer. We want to see God do uh, uh, supernatural things. We want to see God move mightily through the work of prayer. And what we have in chapter 4, this is where we're going to spend our time tonight. Acts chapter 4, what we have is called the believer's prayer. If you go to John 17, you can, you can read the Lord's prayer. Now that's, I know that there's the Lord's model prayer. That's Matthew chapter 6. John 17 is technically the Lord's prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden the night before he went to the cross. The longest prayer recorded in scripture. What we have in Acts chapter 4 is the church's prayer, the believer's prayer. It's the longest recorded prayer here in the book of Acts. And here's what it tells us in verse number 31 of chapter 4. It tells us that after they prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit of God and began to speak the word of God boldly. You see what's happening here? The church prayed and God moved, like literally. (laughs) He shook the place. Why did God shake the place? Was this so that the people would would sense the, the strength, the awesomeness of Almighty God, perhaps? But you know why I think he shook the place? I think he shook the place because he wanted to affirm, 
it was, a, it was him affirming their prayer. It was his way of approving of what they had done, how they had come before him, how they had agreed together, how they had come together in their hour of need and how they, are, how they prayed. And so here's what I think we can do. I think that we can study this particular prayer. I think we would do well to study this prayer, extract principles from it so that we could attune our hearts with God and consequently enhance our prayer life and so church listen if you ever have anything you need to pray about which we all do whether we realize it or not whether whether we realize it or not i'm not saying that we all pray i'm just saying that we all have plenty to pray for we all have lots that we ought to pray for certainly as a church we have much that we need prayer for and if we look at this passage i think that we can extract some principles from this passage that can help us in our prayer lives individually and collectively corporately as a church and so I want to give you tonight eight principles for powerful prayer. You can write them down. We'll try to move through them timely, in a timely fashion. Here's the first one. So we're in Acts chapter 4, right? Acts chapter 4, and we're going to pick up uh, in a moment here in verse number 24. Here's the, here's the first principle. I'm going to give you the principle, and then we're going to get into it here from the passage. Principle number one is this. Talk to God about every need and care. Say that with me, church. Talk to God about every need and care. Do you understand that prayer is simply a conversation with God? Do you understand that? I tell people, hey, look, when you pray, just talk to God. You you don't have to have a bunch of, you know, some real high-sounded language. Look, if, if, if you're not very eloquent... It, God's not impressed by eloquence. God doesn't say, oh, that was, that was quite a prayer. All the these and the thous you put in there, that was a good one. That's going to move me. God's not impressed by eloquence. Look, just have a conversation with God. When is the last time you just had a conversation? You're laying there at night, your head is on your pillow, and your head is run, the thoughts are running a million miles a minute. Stop the thoughts and talk to God. Talk to God about what your thoughts are. Just have a conversation with God. Scripture is God speaking to us. Prayer is us speaking to God. And here's the beautiful thing that we find in Scripture. Church, God invites us into His throne room. God invites us to come to Him, to bring our needs, our cares before Him. Hebrews 4.16 God invites his children, approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace, listen, to help us in time of need. Do you have a need? Do you need some help? Talk to God about it. In Acts chapter 4, we see the church in a time of need. They've been threatened. If you look at verse number 21, 
they've just been threatened. They've been before the religious leaders and they've been out preaching about Jesus. And, and the, the Jewish leaders, they don't want anybody talking about Jesus. They just put him on a cross. They thought they were, they were done with him. And here his, his apostles, his disciples who were in hiding during that trial and during his crucifixion, now they're out there boldly proclaiming Christ and thousands of people are joining them. This is really ticking them off. And so they haul them in there and they threaten them. Don't, you must, you have to stop preaching about this Jesus. Or there's going to be consequences. There were real consequences back then. These were not idle threats. Beatings. Imprisonments. These sorts of things happened. Trouble happened to these folks. These were real threats. What was their response? What was their response when Jesus was arrested and taken to trial in the middle of the night? What did they do? They ran and hid. Right? That's what they did. They were afraid. They, they were filled with, with worry and fear and anxiety. What do we find them doing now? Do we find them backing down? Do we find them quitting the mission? No. Look at what it says in verse 24. And when they heard this, they're talking about the threats that they had just been threatened with from the Sanhedrin. Look what it says, church. They raised their voices together to God. Prayer was their very first response. Too often, prayer for us is a last resort. You know what I mean? It's like a parachute. Like, man, I hope I'm not going to need to use this. Right? It's like the plane is going down. I guess I better pull out my spiritual parachute. It's, it's for prayer, prayer oftentimes, it's like a last-ditch effort. You're glad it's there, but you hope you never really have to use it. But not with this church. They went right to God in prayer together. Look, this wouldn't be their only need. This wasn't the last need they would have. If you, if you keep going through Acts, in Acts chapter 1, they needed some discernment. They were making a big decision. They were replacing Judas. They needed to know the mind of the Lord in the matter. So what did they do? They prayed. That's what they did. In Acts chapter 6, when they needed God's help and power to effectively do ministry, guess what they did? They prayed. In Acts chapter 12, Herod executes James and then arrests Peter and puts him into prison. What does the church do? They organize a prayer meeting. That's what they do. In Acts chapter 28, when someone is sick and they needed healing, guess what they did? Paul prayed. They prayed in times of crisis. They prayed when making decisions. They prayed when establishing leaders. They prayed when they were in need of spiritual cleansing. They prayed before launching ministry efforts. They prayed when they needed physical safety. They prayed for grace and peace when they were saying goodbye. Over and over and over. Read the book of Acts, man. 
They're praying about all of these sorts of things. Whatever the need was, they made prayer a priority. They made prayer their first response, not their last resort. You see, church, we prioritize prayer when we pray about everything at all times. Everything at all times. The Bible tells us to pray about everything. Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Do we pray about everything? Notice what this verse doesn't say. It doesn't say pray only about big things. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say pray only about things you think are spiritual. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say pray about everything except your career. Pray about everything except what you're going to do on the weekend. It doesn't say that. It says pray about everything, not just some things. And I'm afraid that some of us have this logic that says God has things on his mind beyond my little problems and he's a busy God and he's out there creating universes so how can I bring my little old problem to him? Let me tell you something. God is an infinite God and he can handle an infinite amount of problems and trouble all at the same time. You're not gonna, it's not, your, your little problem is not gonna be the straw that broke the camel's back. Oh my goodness, heaven just imploded. Just pray about everything. Pray about everything. We can get too busy for God, but God is never too busy for us. He's never too busy for our problems. First Peter 5, 7 Mark it in your Bible, underline it, highlight it, circle it, put a little tab in there somewhere so that when you're, when you're anxious, you can turn to that verse. It says, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Do you believe that? you believe God cares for you? Run. You better believe he does. That means you can cast every one of your cares on him. I believe that people who have strong prayer lives are those people who take everything to God in prayer, their problems, their concerns, their needs, their desires, and they leave them with him. And so principle number one is talk to him about every need and care. Here's principle number two. We're still in 424, Acts 424. Principle number two, write it down. Pray with one another in unity and agreement with others together. Pray with one another in unity and agreement. Let's say it together. Ready? Number two, pray with one another in unity and agreement. That's what we find the disciples doing. Jesus ascends. They go back into the upper room in Jerusalem. There's 120 disciples to gather together. And what are they doing? Are they arguing? No. They, they weren't Baptists, I can tell you that. They weren't fighting, right? They, they weren't arguing over, you know, eschatology, like end time things. Like they weren't digging into like, well, I believe Jesus is coming back here. And, and Peter, no, not. That's, that's not what they're doing. They're not arguing theology. They'll get to that eventually. Will there be some divisions? Yep. They're going to pray through those things too. 
But you know what they're doing right here? They're just praying together. I love it. Verse 14 of chapter 1, they're all continually united in prayer. And then here's what we find in chapter 4 and verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God. Notice they prayed together. There's tremendous power in corporate prayer. God meets us in a special way when we participate in it. And we see it over and over and over again in Acts. In that chapter 1, right? When they pray together corporately, God shows them who the replacement for Judas was to be. God showed them that they prayed. God showed them as they prayed about it together. In chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descended on them while they were praying together. In chapter 4, they're filled with boldness here in in our text while they're praying together. In chapter 12, Peter is released from prison while they're praying together. In chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas were called by the Holy Spirit to go on their first missionary journey while they were praying together. In Acts chapter 16, the jail where Paul and Silas were locked up was shaken while they were praying together. Do you see a pattern there? There's a pattern there. The pattern is pray together. Look, I'm not disparaging personal prayer. In fact, in the book of of Acts, Ananias, he was praying alone when God said, hey, go talk to Saul. Remember that little conversation? And I was like, I heard about that guy. Are you sure? We're talking about the same fella. He was a guy persecuting Christians. Peter was alone on the rooftop praying when he had this famous vision, right? And he, and he was, uh, uh, before he went to see Cornelius. Paul was in the temple praying when the Lord warned him about danger that he would face in Acts chapter 22. Uh, Jesus did the same thing. Often we find him withdrawing and going out into the wilderness and praying, sometimes for the whole night, right? So we're not, we're not disparaging personal private prayer. But what we are saying is, look, there is such a thing and a very needful thing for us to pray together. The majority of God's recorded workings in Acts came after God's people prayed together. You know, the, the scripture makes it clear that when we gather together, there are some things we do. We serve together, right? Uh, we sing together. Man, I love, do you enjoy singing? If, if you don't enjoy singing, I'm sorry. You know, you should practice it because in heaven we're going to do a lot of singing. So, but, but we sing together, right? And that's, that's part of what we do together. We submit together. We learn together. We suffer together. We raise our kids together. But what can be more important than praying together? And often it's what we do the least of. Even the Lord's model prayer implies our need to pray together. It says, give us our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Jesus said this in Matthew 18. He said again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you uh, by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. See, you don't have to have 5,000 to have an effective prayer time together, corporate prayer time together. You don't even need a hundred. You just need two or three. Oftentimes in our, in our weekday, uh, twice a week, typically we have uh, a prayer meeting online. And typically there's two or three or four or five of us. It's small. But I'm telling you what, we've seen God answer prayer. 
We pray for the needs of, of many different people, sick and, and folks in the church and, and different needs of the church. And, and we just pray for whatever, as, as God puts things in our heart, we pray for those things together. Jesus said we're just two or three are gathered. So we're not surprised that after Jesus ascended over and over, the early church gathers together and they pray They gathered as a group of believers in relationship. They gathered to pray with with those that they trusted, with those with whom they could be transparent, right? We should be able to be transparent as we pray together. And they simply prayed wherever the church gathered. And so church, we prioritize prayer by setting aside time together for corporate prayer. Now, this summer, we're going to do more of this. We're going to do more of this. We're going to have more special times of prayer when we gather. Sometimes when we gather, we'll do most, this summer, we'll have the, the vast majority of our time, we'll be praying. We'll sing a song, we'll pray. We'll sing a song, we'll pray. We'll sing a song, and we'll pray. We're going to do more of this together. Why? Because... This is God's plan for the church. If we're going to be a church on the move, we have to be at the throne of grace, taking our needs before the Lord. Principle number three. Principle number three. Recognize God's authority, power, and goodness. Say that with me. Number three. Recognize God's authority, power, and goodness. Notice, back in chapter 4, when, when they raised their voices together to God in prayer, they said this, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. Their prayer began by focusing on God, right? You see it? Master, He's the ruler over all. God sits on the throne. God is above all. He is the Lord over all. He has authority in heaven and on earth. All powers are subject to God. Do you understand who we get to pray to? Do you understand who God is? The fact that he is the almighty ruler who sits on the throne of the universe. Church, We get to talk to him. We get to bring our needs before him. And he cares for us. And he knows what our needs are. He's the ruler over all. And he's the creator of all. They they prayed, you made the heaven. You made earth, the sea, and everything in them. Think about that. Think about that. He made it all. How? How did God make it all? He said, let there be light. And there was light. Church, can we even begin to comprehend the kind of power it requires to speak and there's a sun and there's a moon And there are stars. 
billions of them. Billions of light years away. What kind of power does it take to create it all with a word? Church, he is the God that invites us to pray to him. That God, the creator, that's power, that's authority. And friends, that is goodness. Don't we see his goodness in creation every day? Been doing some work in my yard this past week. Shrubs were like taken over the place. It's looking like a jungle back there. And for weeks it was taunting me, taunting me. Like, I cannot let this continue to go on. It's my garden. I got to, you know, God put Adam in the garden. He said, take care of it. So I was like, that's my, I got to take, I got to take care of it. It's getting out of control. But you know, you start trimming those shrubs and you start looking at the flowers on them. You think, it's pretty crazy that God created all this stuff. Why? Why create a bunch of pretty shrubs and flowers? I mean, we're in the desert. How many of you think the, pre- the desert is beautiful? Look around the room. I, I mean, not everybody does, but for, for folks, you know, if you're watching from the East Coast, and you know, my first time here, I thought, did I land on the moon? What is this place, and why do people want to live here? But I'm telling you what, I think it's the most beautiful thing ever. I mean, like, literally, I don't ever want to move. I, I found my home. This is where I, I know it's going to be hot. But it's cold in other places, and there's snow and all that stuff. So we deal with the heat. You got Heaven is going to be perfect, 72 degrees for eternity. The sea of the, the, the crystal sea, I can just, I'm going to be on the beach, you know, in my flip-flops for about 1,000 years. Don't wake me, you know. But even the de- it's, we see the goodness of God, but not just around us. We see it like he provides, for, he takes care of our needs, right? We see it in our children and our grandchildren, right? I mean, we can look back over our life and like David, what do we say? Surely goodness and mercy, they've been following me all the days of my life. It hasn't always been easy. It's been hard. I've had some struggles and problems and trials and, and, and I failed a bunch of times, but you know what? Goodness and mercy, they're like two little dogs. They keep just, they're, they're there. They just, they're always nipping at my heels. They're always behind me. That is the goodness of God. We see it all around us. This is the God, the God who made you, the God who made me, the same God who made the sun, who made the moon and the stars. Just look up at that sun and think, my God made that thing. I mean, it's pretty cool, all the technology we can men have made, but how does this compare to a sun that's been warming our little corner of the universe for a couple thousand of the years, you know? God, we see authority, we see power, we see goodness, and they pray, they begin their prayer, Master, you made it all. 
Church, if we, as we pray, if we would begin by focusing on God and looking to him and remembering who he is and what he has done, by the time we get around to talking about our problems, kind of gives you goosebumps. Like, this ain't hard for God. Now, God might have a different plan. We'll get to that, but but nothing is too hard for my God. You know what effect it has on us when we spend time, when we pray, looking at God and thinking about God and meditating on Him? It has what I call the Isaiah effect. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah, he... He, he, he's on his face. He has this vision of the Lord. He's high and lifted up and he, he can see the Lord in the temple in, in heaven and, and, and the, the seraphims and the cherubims, they're, they're flying and they're covering with their six wings and they're saying, holy, 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 right? And, 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 and Isaiah gets a glimpse of this and he says, woe is me for I am undone. You see, when we get our eyes on the Lord, truly on the Lord, man, not only does it bolster our faith, but it helps us to realize just how puny we are. We're just dust. And how how frail we are. And yet this same God who made all of this, who made us, he still loves us and he still cares about us even though we're dust and even though we stink sometimes. And I mean like our attitude stinks. Our attitude about God stinks. Our just the way we live stinks. And yet the God who made everything cares about us and says, come talk to me. That's awesome. And so when we pray, let's recognize God's authority, his power, and his goodness. That's what they were doing here. Let's move on in their prayer. This is principle number four. Principle number four, reference scripture that applies. Look at this. Don't miss this. Note note the first two words in verse 25. You see it in your Bible? Verse number 25, Acts 4.25, the first two words in the CSB is, you said... You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand, the rulers assemble together against the Lord, against his Messiah. What are they doing here? They are recalling and reciting God's promises from Scripture aloud. They're reciting the Scripture in their prayer. That's what they're doing. They said, God, you said... And they're going to use this as part of their, as they move on in their prayer. But they're reciting, they're remembering what God has said. And we find this throughout the book of Acts. In chapter 1, when Peter stands up, and he, uh, this is 15, 14, 15, 16, he says to his brothers and sisters in Christ, he says, look, it was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled. And he goes on and he talks about that. In chapter 1 and verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, Peter repeats, he quotes Psalms. There are 11 references. References, Old Testament references in the first four chapters of Acts. These people knew the Old Testament. They knew that was their Bible. They didn't have the book of Acts, right? They didn't have all the books of the Bible we have. 
And so they, they took the Bible they had, the Old Testament, man, and they, they studied that thing. And in their prayers and in their conversations, man, they kept going back to this is what God said. There's power in that. When, when we go to the Word of God and we understand what God has said, Scripture is God's Word. Scripture is God's promises. Look, do we ever have to remind God of anything? No. No, we don't. That's not the purpose. When we quote Scripture, it's for our betterment and strength. When we stand on what God has already promised, it enhances our faith as we pray. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten my Bible and I've opened it to a a promise in the Bible. Probably the one I've done far more than any others is James chapter 1 and verse 5. I've opened my Bible, I've put my hand, and I'm praying, Lord, you said that if we need wisdom, we could ask you if you would give it to us. And may you give it liberally. You will do what you said. God does what he says. We don't have to remind him of it. But I'm telling you, when you need wisdom and you ask God and you know God said, I'll give it to you if you ask me, you can take that to the bank. To the bank. See, the problem is, is we just don't pray about stuff. We just make decisions willy-nilly. We go through life. We never stop to think, maybe I should just, look, I know that I'm, I know God gave me a brain and I need to use it and all that, but maybe I should take a time out, get on my knees or in my head as I'm driving down the road, pray and ask God for wisdom about this. This is a decision, Lord. What do you want us to do? What is the right thing? Give me the wisdom, Lord. Listen, To be able to claim the promises of God in prayer, you got to know them. <laughs> if, you're, if you're never in your Bible and you don't know what the Bible says, how are you going to claim any scriptural promises? Open your Bible. Read your Bible. Look, don't let your Bible become your God. Now, hear me out on this. Sometimes our God becomes our time with God. Like, my time with God, we almost it almost replaces our relationship with the God that we're opening our Bible to read. Does any of this make sense? Don't don't let your, your Bible time, your devotional time, replace the God that you're reading about, right? It's, it's a relationship with him. It's talking to him. It's him talking to you, right? So it's not information gathering. You don't open your Bible. Okay, I'm gathering information. Oh, wow. Look, there's a lot of information in the Bible. And when you read it, you're going to gather information. And I'm the worst at it. I have Bible software, and I can spend three hours. This week, I got into the Epicureans. Yeah, in Acts. The Epicureans. And I got on a rabbit trail studying the Epicureans, because they're in the book of Acts. Paul preaches to them on, on Mars Hill in Athens. And so, man, I, I chased that rabbit for probably more than I needed to. But I was looking for some commonalities with, with culture today, I guess, is what I was doing. But what I'm getting at is, look, we can chase rabbits all day long, but if we don't get back to talking with God and God talking with us, right, 
spending time with our Heavenly Father, then we're, we're kind of missing what this is all about. I hope, I hope, this, is, I, I hope this is helpful somehow and not more confusing. If it isn't, if, it, if it's confusing, see me after, we'll, we'll try to clear it up. But coming back to this point, if you, if you don't know what the Bible says, how are you going to pray the promises of the Word of God? You have to be careful that you're not claiming somebody else's promise either, right? You don't want to be praying a promise that God made, you know, to the Old Testament Jews. If you can find some form of it repeated in the New Testament, well, okay. But understand the context. But, but, but as you find those promises, you find verses that you can pray, one of the verses that God gave me, June 9, 2003. Psalm 2711, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a plain path. That became my prayer, June 9, 2003. And I prayed that prayer thousands of times over the last almost 20 years, eight, 19 years. Lord, teach me your way. Lead me in a plain path. You can pray scripture. Why? Because if God said it, it's good enough. It's, it's perfect, right? Doesn't mean we need to memorize the Lord's Prayer and recite it. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's a, it's a model prayer, right? But, but, but when you know Scripture and when you can pray the Scripture, it's always always helpful as we pray. Principle number five, I have to pick up speed. Remember that God has a plan. Remember that God has a plan. Look as they continue to pray here, verse 27 and 28. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy Jesus, your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. So while the Jewish leaders had conspired to kill Jesus, it was all in God's foreordained plan. God gave his one and only son, right? This was all part of God's plan, the plan of redemption. And his plan was for his glory and for our good. So whatever our need Whatever our trouble, whatever our circumstances may be, no matter how bad, how difficult, how terrible, what do we need to remember? We need to remember that God has a plan for our lives. God has a plan for our church. Look, I've questioned God's plan many different times. Have you? Let's be transparent. Who else? You've questioned God's plan. All right, a couple of us. Quite a few of us. But I've always come back to this. I've always come back to realize that God's plans are always better than my plans. Always. And I know this. In the end, his plan will be accomplished. His plan. I read a story about a little boy who's up late one night reading a murder mystery. And he was reading a book. And he was right in the middle of this thing, and there was a villain, a, a dastardly villain in the story, and he was plotting to do all kinds of mayhem and, and dastardly things to the, to the heroine in the book. And 
He was feeling sorry for the heroine and almost afraid of the villain himself, and he got so concerned about the thing that he couldn't wait, so he decided to read the last chapter before he finished the book. You ever do that? And so he went over and read the last chapter, and the last chapter he read how the villain got it in the neck, how he was repulsed, turned back, and was defeated, and how the heroine was delivered. Then he went back and picked up where he was reading. And as he read, he was thinking, oh, but I know how this ends. It might look bleak, but I know how this ends. You look cocky right now, Mr. Villain, but you have yours coming. Well, church, I want to tell you that as God's children, we've read the last chapter, right? We know how this ends. If you haven't, go read the last chapters. See how it ends. We can pray with confidence. Why? Because God has a plan. And his plan is going to be carried out. And a hundred years from now, church, none of us is going to be here. None of us. I'm reading a book right now by a guy by the name of Reese Howells. Reese Howells. I'll tell you about him at the end of the message if I get there. Reese Howells. He lived 120 years ago. And you think, 120 years ago, but 120 years from now, we'll be dead and gone and forgotten about on this earth. But God will still be on the throne. And his plan will be accomplished. You know the cool thing about it is, God doesn't need to keep us alive to make sure that his plan gets done. You know that the cemeteries are filled with men who were irreplaceable, right? Men who, who the, the universe, the world, could not go on without them. They're in the grave. But God is still on the throne, and his plan will not be thwarted. So as we pray, hey, we can remember, God has a plan. This is our need. This is what we're facing. This, these are circumstances But God has a plan in this somehow. Principle number six, admit weakness and ask for God's help. Verse 29, and now, Lord, consider their threats. Grant your servants uh, that we may speak your word with all boldness. They knew they were weak. They knew they needed God's help and God's power, so they got real specific about it. And they said, Lord, please help us speak your word with boldness. That's what we must do. We must admit our fears, admit our weaknesses to God and get really specific on what it is we're asking him for, what we're praying about. But we can go to him and we can ask for his help. I love Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will hold you with my right hand of righteousness. So we go to him, we admit our weakness, we ask for his need. Principle number seven, trust God can do the impossible. Verse 30, stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through your, the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They boldly trust that there was nothing impossible for God. They saw Jesus do the supernatural. 
They watched him calm the seas. They saw him raise the dead. You see, church, big problems are no problems for God. And whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever it is we are ever going to deal with as a church, we can take our biggest problems to a big God who is able to do the impossible. When the church prays, God does the impossible. We've seen this as a church. We've seen this. I, I believe that what we are in the, in the thick of right now, right at this exact moment in our church, I really believe this is God doing the impossible. Years and years ago, I stood up in the church at some point and said, look, church, if we're ever going to have our own place, it's going to take a miracle of God. Property was $500,000 an acre. It's going to take a miracle. Honestly, I thought that is a huge mountain to climb. I don't know how that's ever going to happen. And church, you know what we're seeing right now? It's like literally right where we are as a church right now, it's like God just went, there's the Red Sea. Walk over on dry ground. God can do the impossible. God has done the impossible. You see, God has a plan. And there are some things that even in this process, there's going to be some things that are going to seem impossible. We walked into a city council meeting a couple of weeks ago. Man, I'm telling you what, I thought, walked in there thinking, this ever happens. Boy, it just seemed like impossible. I, and I can't tell you how many times over the last six or seven years have we have dealt with this. It just seemed like an impossibility. But our God, our God is able to do the impossible. And when God takes his weak, fragile servants, right? He gets glory when he shows himself strong, when he does the impossible, when nobody else has the strength to do anything. He shows up. He gets the glory. We may be up against the impossible, but God can do the impossible. And here's number eight. Expect God to answer prayer. Verse 31 then says that the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. They asked for boldness. And what did God give them? Boldness. God answered their prayer. 1 John chapter 5, this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for. When we pray in his will, we know that we have what we ask of him. We've seen him answer prayer. George Mueller had, I don't know, I think it's over 10,000 answers to prayer, logged answers to prayer. I'm keeping one in our prayer journal, the things that we pray for as a prayer team. I don't know, I think there's like 134 answers of prayer in there just over the last two years or so. But have you seen God answer, just personal, have you seen God answer prayer? Yeah. Expect God to answer prayer. Sometimes God's answers are yes, like in the story. They ask for wisdom and they ask for boldness and they got it. Sometimes God's answers is, his answer is no. 
right? Paul prayed that his thorn would be removed, and God said no three times to him. Sometimes God's answer is wait. I've heard that one a lot. Wait. Psalm 27, 14. I would go back to often in my, in my head and my heart, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Waiting is hard. But oftentimes in the waiting process, God is doing something in us. He's, when we're waiting, it seems like God's doing nothing. But God is always doing something. Whether we see it or know about it or not, he's doing something. And it's always good for our good. And so expect God to answer prayer. And if it's a no, thank him. You don't know what he just spared you from, right? Thank him when it's a no. When it's a wait, do the hard thing and wait. Keep going back to him. Be persistent in prayer and just continue to wait and be patient and continue to take it to him. Well, I've gone kind of long. Let me close with, I want to tell you about how praying together you could go, there's so many different recorded stories about how God has moved in the past when people pray together. I want to tell you about one, and perhaps you've heard of this. This is 1857. America was riding a wave of, of strong economic, uh, a strong economy. Um, and as tends to be true in times of prosperity, there was this de- decrease of interest in the things of God. And so a guy by the name of Jeremiah Lamphere, who was concerned about this, he led a call to prayer. And so he tacked up notice- notices around New York City for a weekly prayer meeting on Wednesdays from noon until one in a rented space on Fulton Street. The first meeting was held on September 23rd, 1857. Only six people came. And they didn't arrive until just before 1230 For the first 30 minutes, he thought, boy, this is a big bust. (laughs) 1230, six people showed up. The next week, the attendance jumped to 20. The numbers continued to climb week by week, and then on October 10th, the stock market crashed, and the financial panic ensued. Trouble um, had its humbling effect on the hearts of a lot of, of people, and so It wasn't long until somewhere between 10 and 50,000 businessmen were meeting every day in New York City to pray at noon. And by week 15, the the meetings moved from weekly to daily. By 1858, the prayer meeting leaped to every major city in America and the second great awakening swept over our land. Google it sometime, the second great awakening. You know where that started? It started with six people getting together and praying. Right? Is it, is it the, was it, was it Jeremiah? Was it, Jeremiah was, is it all about Jeremiah? No, it's not about him. It's not about the six people. It's not that somehow, because we're praying, somehow there's something powerful in us that produces something. It's not about us. It's not about now. It's about God, and it's about eternity. And I believe 
that if we as God's people will humble ourselves and pray, turn from our wicked way, we talked about that last week, walk in obedience, and if we will pray and seek God's face, I believe that God can heal our land. I believe that God could start a revival in the city of Peoria and a great movement of God in Peoria with us, with just us, just us. But it means we're going to have to follow God's orders and obey him if we're going to move forward. And we're going to have to prioritize prayer if we're going to move forward. And so let's do that. Amen? Let's close with prayer.